everybody. For those of you who don't know, my name is Sophie. Um, hi. Um, <laughs> I am a student at Edshill University, where I'm assuming most, if not all of you, uh, are also students. I'm in my second year of an adult nursing degree. Um, and I've just come off a week of nights, so if I seem a bit jaded, then that is why. But I've had coffee and I've had toast, so we should be okay. Today, I'm going to be retelling a story from the Bible in a book called Luke. Um, it's about Jesus and a woman with a chronic bleed. If you don't know what that is, you know how chicks, like every month, they get their period, right? This might be a weird subject for some people in the room. But this lady, instead of having, like, a bleed once a month, she just bled straight for 12 years. I mean, that's just pretty intense, if you ask me. I don't know. I, well, thanks, Tabitha. I think it's pretty crazy. 12 years! That is the world's worst period. I mean, that's just insane. So you might be thinking, why am I telling you this story? Why did my friend drag me here on a Sunday night to hear a random chick talk about a period? Very justified question, and let me tell you. Each and every person here has a different view and perspective on who they think Jesus is. Everybody's outlook is different, everybody's perspective is different, but what I want to do this evening is, I want to, sorry I just had a weird brain moment then, I want to tell you a story from the Bible that I think displays the character of Jesus and who he is. And why not go straight to the source, right? It's a direct reflection and mirror upon the characteristic of Jesus. So this evening, I want you to consider how you view Jesus and why you think you view him that way. And then compare it to this story and see how it matches up. So we're going to kickstart things by reading the actual story from the Bible. Um, if you have a Bible, then turn to Luke 8, 43 to 48. If you don't have a Bible or you just can't be bothered to open your own, then that's fine. I'm going to put it up on the screen here so you don't need to worry. Um, but before we do that, uh, I'm just going to sort of set the scene a little bit, apply a bit of context, get a bit of, uh, you know, perspective out there. I'm going to set the scene. So whenever we read the Bible, it's really, really important to apply context to it because we live in this wonderful modern day context. But when we read the Bible, that's a really, really old book. It's like, it's just different. So you're going to be reading it and trying to apply this modern day context that we have to a culture that isn't relevant to us now in, in the same way. We, we wouldn't act it out this way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, set the scene. Jesus was traveling with his 12 disciples and a group of women, and they were going from town to town, spreading the news that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah was like, to the Israelites, he was like this hero-type character. He was this guy that was going to save the Israelites from the Romans, who were ruling over them at the time, and Jesus they were saying was going to be this Messiah. This Messiah guy was going to bring them into a place of brand new freedom and peace. And the disciples and Jesus' squad were going around and they were spreading that message that Jesus was this Messiah. And as they were going, they were healing as they went. So they arrive at this town, right? And because of the nature of Jesus' message and the nature of what they were doing, he would attract crowds of thousands. I'm talking like a Billie Eilish concert, Ariana Grande concert, crowds of hundreds and thousands would come to hear this guy and what he had to say. Was he telling the truth? Was he just some crazy guy who was like pretending to be Superman? I mean, it, you, who wouldn't want to see that, right? 
So he shows up at this town and this guy, Jairus, he runs up to Jesus and he gets on his knees and before Jesus, he begs him to come and see his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter who's dying. He says, Jesus, come see my daughter. She's dying. I need you to come and heal him. So Jesus is like, sure, man, let's go. So it's Jesus and Jairus against the crowd, right? They get their elbows out and they're trying to wade through all the people who have come to see and hear about Jesus. And in amongst this crowd is this lady with this chronic bleed that I was talking about. And before we just get into the scripture here, I just want to give you a little bit of information about who this woman is. So this woman was an Israelite, a Jew, just like Jesus. And a really important part, a really important part of her faith and her heritage was her ability to go and visit the temple. What is the temple? So for the Israelites, the, they believed that this temple was a place where heaven and earth overlapped and God's presence would reside. And for this lady, going to visit this place where God's presence resided with her friends and her family, it was a really important part of her faith and her heritage. And you might be thinking, why? What's the big deal? So for this lady to go visit the temple, there are actually rules. Rules? What? There was this need for whoever visited the temple that they had to be ritually pure. Ritually pure, that sounds like a weird sort of culty, seancey phrase. I don't know, that's what I thought when I first heard it. I was like, ritually pure, what are you talking about here? Um, are you sure this is biblical? Like, what is going on? But what it means is, for this lady, she would have been ritually impure. Because to be ritually pure, you had to be sort of as far away from death as possible. But when you were ritually impure, it was like you had this association with death. Let me explain. So if you had just touched a dead body, or you had like some skin disease like leprosy or something, or you were like this lady and you had this consistent bleed, they believed that, the Israelites believed that life was in the blood, right? So this lady was bleeding, she was losing life, she was in association with death. So she was ritually impure and she couldn't visit the temple. In the ancient world, being ritually pure was a really normal thing. For us, that's just not the case, is it? Like, none of us really need to worry about that, ever. Thank goodness. <laughs> it would be a bit of a palaver if we did have to. The only way that I can think of, of describing it to you guys and making it more relevant would be when we think about COVID. Can you all remember the early days of COVID? Crazy times, right? You'd go out into the street for your, you know, once a day walk. You'd be walking down the street, see someone coming towards you. Cross the street. You don't want to be in association with that guy. What if they had COVID? You don't want to be next to them. No. Or what about when you go into the shops, right? And you're reaching for a carton of milk and you're thinking, mmm, that guy's just touched. I'm going to go for that one because no one's touched that one. That one is less likely to have COVID on it. Or you do what I used to do. And whenever I walked past people, I'd do this thing where I'd like hold my breath. So I'd be like, <gasps> Because, you know, I didn't want to breathe in their air particles. Again, what if they had COVID? Do you know what I mean? So if you were ritually impure, right, you actually had the ability to sort of pass on this impurity if you had touched another person. And you'd have to quarantine for a certain amount of time before you could come back to visit the temple. Does this all make sense? I realize it's been a big fat spiel. But uh, we're almost there. 
You might be thinking, lastly, why is it so important for this lady to visit the temple? What's the big deal? She's ritually impure, what's the hassle? Just stay at home and chill, right? But actually, for this lady, going to the temple, it acted as a moment of reminding and acknowledgement of God's love and acceptance of her people. For us in this day and age, it's often described as like this feeling of overwhelming love and gratification and safety, of being fully known and accepted. But actually it's more than that, it's more than a feeling, right? For us as Christians, we believe when we talk about the presence of God, we talk about for her visiting the temple, it's, it's something that bypasses feelings and emotions and it becomes this knowing, this hope that sits right at the back of your mind. But it's not hope as you may know it. This is not hope that's grounded in things that can sort of get destroyed or mislaid. Shout out to Tab's preach last Sunday. Whoop, whoop. This, this hope is not rooted in something that others can control or destroy, right? It's a hope that's grounded in, in something we can't mess up ourselves. It's untouchable to us, but we have this like full access to it. For example, if you were working hard at you know, getting good grades for a test, you would study really hard, right? You get all the books out. My friend Jade, I FaceTime my mum, and every time I FaceTime my mum, there's always Jade in the background with her laptop, and my mum goes, oh, there's that girl with the laptop again. She is the perfect example of being a good studier. So right, let's say Jade, right? She's studying and she's studying and she's studying for this test. The more she studies, the bigger hope she can have about getting a good grade, getting a good outcome her outcome would be certain and it would be positive. But a lot of that is, is all in her hands, right? She's got all the power, all the control over that. But this hope that I'm talking about is not something that, that we have to control. We don't have to be the one to ensure that this hope has a certain and positive outcome, that it's going to be steadfast. It's all in God's hands. We don't have to worry about it. We can't mess it up. It's a win-win. And so frequently visiting the temple for this woman allowed her to reflect on this reality. Right, that's it, guys. We made it. Well done. We can finally read the passage. Oh, no, Harry, it's not working. Well, this is embarrassing. I'm pressing the buttons. Which one is it? Oh dear, it's because I got the galloping gobbrot, that's why. Please hold. Hey! Okay, so Luke 8, 43 to 48, here we go. In the crowd that day, there was a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhages. She had spent every penny she had on doctors, but not one had been able to help her. She slipped in from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' robe. At that very moment, her hemorrhaging stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? When no one stepped forward, Peter said, but master, we've got crowds of people on our hands. Dozens have touched you. Jesus insisted, someone touched me. I felt power discharged from me. When the woman realized she couldn't remain hidden, she knelt, trembling.
trembling before him. In front of all the people, she blurted out her story, why she touched him, and how at that same moment she was healed. Jesus said, daughter, you took a risk trusting me, and now you're healed and whole. Live well and live blessed. I just love that ending. It's so heartwarming. Oh, cute. So this lady, right, she's an outsider. Let's be honest. She's an outsider through no fault of her own. She's excluded. She's missing out. She's got FOMO like you would not believe, my friend. So what does she do? She calls on these doctors, right, these medical professionals to help her with this issue that she has. But no one can do anything. No one can help her. She's out of money, out of resources. She's got limited contact with people, because if you remember my COVID example, she's ritually impure. She can't go out and touch people and hug people. It's like she's got COVID, right? She has to be strategic with her food shops. I mean, what a palaver. There's no Uber Eats. There's no Amazon shopping, right? This woman's life is hard. She's got this isolating condition. She's at the end of herself, let's be honest. So what does she do, right, this lady? She hears about this guy, this Jesus dude, who's meant to be the Messiah. He's meant to be this guy who's meant to come and save her people from the Romans, and he's bringing healing. I mean, maybe this is a sign. Maybe this is something that she needs to go and see. Maybe this man's visit to her town is her shot. Maybe this is her chance. She thinks, oh, but if I go outside, I'm going to be breaking the rules. This chick thinks, hang on, 12 years is long enough. She throws caution to the wind and she bursts open her door and she steps outside, whoosh. She is carried along by the tsunami of people who are running towards Jesus, clamoring for his attention, trying to get a peek at who this guy is and what he's going to do next. So this lady, right, she's being jostled to the left and to the right. She's probably really weak. She's been inside. She's been bleeding. Like, life is hard, right? So she has to get the elbows out. She has to start jamming people in the ribs. Get out of my way. She probably wouldn't have been a great netball player if you ever played netball. I don't know. <laughs> but with all of her determination to push and shove people out the way, she finally gets behind Jesus. And she's thinking, oh my gosh, here he is. Here's the guy. I just, I'll get his attention and, and I'll ask him for healing. And then she's thinking, wait, I've broken the rules. I don't want to disturb this guy. Look how many people are here. But I'm determined to get what I came for. Conflicting thoughts, she's thinking on the spot. And she remembers when Jesus goes round healing people, he puts his hand on their, on their shoulder and he prays a prayer. And she's thinking, well, if Jesus has to touch me in order for me to get my healing, I'll touch him, right? Then I don't have to disturb him. Then I can just get what I came for and slip away. So that's what she does. She high fives the man's skirt and she's whoosh. She's healed. She's like, oh my gosh, no way. This actually has just happened. No way. This Messiah guy is who he says he is. I believed in him and now I've got my healing. And she's thinking, right, okay, let's get out while I'm ahead. She turns around on her heels and she starts swimming against the tide of, you know, the crowd of people running towards Jesus. 
She's probably the only chick running the other way. They're all like, what are you doing? And Jesus, he just stops, right? And if all these people are following Jesus, that means the crowd around him stops. So this lady, her escape route is cut off. She's at a standstill. She's like, oh, why? This, I had a plan and you're all messing it up. And Jesus says to the crowd, who touched me? And the disciples look at each other and they're like, this guy, who touched me? Oh, you're being serious. Who touched me? Right. Well, Jesus has about 50 million people around you. So um, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, okay, patience, patience. Who touched me? And the disciples still haven't got it. They're like, dude, like 50 people. Is that the right answer? Like, what, what are you looking for? And Jesus, he changed tact, right? Because his question isn't getting him anywhere. He says, no, someone touched me because I felt power leave from me. And the disciples are like, ah, we get it, sure. They don't get it. But this woman knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. She stood there and she's thinking, oh my gosh, he's talking about me. Oh no, he's talking about me. You ever get that sinking feeling when your heart stops and your gut sinks? This chick's got that. She realizes that she has to give it up, right? She, her escape route's cut off and Jesus is not going anywhere until he finds out who did what she did. So she turns around and she approaches Jesus and she puts her hand up and she goes, Jesus, it was me. I touched you. And Jesus' face, it's euphoric. He's elated. He's like, daughter, your faith, your belief, in who I am and what I can do for you, that has made you well. Go live a full and blessed life. Oh, isn't it just such a heartwarming moment? I seem to be the only one who's really happy about this. (laughs) Can you not imagine his face? He's like, yeah, baby, someone believed in who I was and they've had a life-changing moment. And this is how it's meant to be. Because when Jesus said to the crowd, who touched me? It was this indictment. It was this moment where he called the crowd to be like this woman. Millions of people were touching him, but not one of them had an experience like this lady here. Why? Because they didn't believe in who he was. They were just following the crowd. And he was asking them to be like this woman. And what I love is Jesus publicly honors this woman and he says, be like her. She's got something beautiful here because she believed in who I am and what I can do for her. I just think that's so beautiful. Do you not think that's beautiful? I think that's so beautiful. And what's amazing, right, is this lady accessed something. She accessed the presence of God that lived inside Jesus because Jesus was this Messiah that we were talking about. So all of a sudden, these temple rules that were this big fat issue for this woman... It wasn't an issue anymore. Why? Because Jesus came to the earth to make that temple go away. All of a sudden, the rules, they weren't there anymore. Anybody and everybody could have access to this presence of God. That was his goal. That's why he came. Because of this woman's belief, she accessed that. She believed that Jesus was the temple personified. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus came to the earth, meaning God's presence was not tied to one place anymore. And it wasn't only accessible purely through certain rules. This is what the woman realized. This is what she believed. 
and that's how she got to where she is today. I love this story because for me, I think at, at some point we've all been the woman with the bleed, right? I mean, she's carrying something that is embarrassing. Now, I just want to make clear, if you're on your period, chicks having periods is not embarrassing. That's not what I'm saying. But imagine that you're this lady, right? There's no running water. You don't have like sanitary products the same as we do now. Being clean, being hygienic would have been so hard. This woman's life, she wouldn't have wanted to have disclosed this to anybody. She's like, this is a really personal issue, excuse me. This issue that, you know, prevents her from living a normal life, a normal whole existence. It bars her from normal civilization, from expressing herself effectively, from going to the temple, that place where she was meant to go so she could encounter love and receive goodness. And I think this can look like many different things in our lives. Maybe your version of being the woman with the bleed is addiction. Or, or maybe it's crippling anxiety. I'm sure we can all think of something that we have that we hope no one ever sees or no one ever has to hear about. Or maybe it's not something that we're embarrassed about, but it limits us, right? It limits us socially or it limits us in our mental health. But Jesus, as we've seen in this story, he isn't upset or disgusted by messiness. FYI, messiness is actually a word. I googled it. He's not disturbed in the slightest by the messiness of life, but rather quite the opposite. As I said before, Jesus came to make God's presence accessible everywhere and to everyone. As we see in this story, there's no hesitation from Jesus in wanting to be a part of our lives, be a part of our problems, our struggles, whatever it is, whatever it looks like. In fact, there was so little hesitancy that he didn't even know who touched him. He didn't even know who connected with him. That's how ready he was. All he needed was a heart full of faith and belief in who he was, in what he could do for people. For me, I think I can remember being the woman with the bleed, right? Um, as a child in school, you might not know this about me actually. As a child in school, um, I went through a period of time where I used to cheat on all of my tests. I used to cheat on all of my homework. I'd go into my teacher's desk and I would steal the, we called it a score key, but it was basically all the answers. And in the really early hours of the morning, um, at home, in my bed, I would copy out all the answers. Um, I also used to go into my local shops and just steal stuff. I would just go to town, no word of a lie, right? I was really young, FYI, and I live in a really, really tiny village, so security's like really lax. I'm not like some pro thief, okay, really. When the cashier's like 94, what are you gonna do? It's not really an issue, is it? But uh, for me, right, as I said, I was really young, but I felt really lonely, so I was acting out. Uh, but what was worse is that I couldn't tell anyone um, about anything I'd done or how I felt, because then I'd get into trouble. Then I'd have to, you know, face the consequences for my actions. I'd have to accept that I was in very, very, very hot water. Things were not looking good for Sophie at this point. I carried around this guilt and 
it was this loneliness and this guilt about what I'd done and I couldn't live with it or process it on my own. So it grew so heavy at one point where I used to have these, I call them vulnerability explosions. Okay, let me explain. So I'd carry around this guilt and this feeling of unbearable loneliness um, because of what I'd done and, and, and how my life was. And it took me about three or four times to fully come clean to my mum. So when it grew heavy enough, I would just explode. And I think by about the fifth or sixth time, I had got the full truth out. I was a bit stingy with the truth the first few times around, but you know, I soon got the hang of it. But you see, I realized that I could only have this release of guilt and receive the forgiveness of others when I was willing to put my hand up and say, I needed help. Like this woman, I carried something that filled me with shame. It caused me pain, caused me to withdraw from my friends and my family. Um, it, it, it filled me with anxiety and shame about what I'd done and who I was. And this feeling of guilt and loneliness could only be shaken the moment I realized that actually I had grace. I had access to grace and forgiveness for the things I'd done from those around me who loved me, like my mum, who didn't hesitate to come alongside me and love me in this place of brokenness. Just like Jesus didn't hesitate in love, in reaching out towards this lady. And this is God's heart towards us, right? There's no hesitancy, there's no reluctance, but you have to be the one to reach out and touch the hem of his garments. God is not embarrassed by us or who we are. He wants to be with us. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Even this woman's bleed didn't separate her from the love of God. And it should have done, right? She didn't follow the temple rules. So how does she get access to, to this, this, this God's presence that Jesus was carrying? Well, she respected Jesus and who he was, and she believed in who he was. And in return, he did the exact same for her. There's no pressure in saying yes or no to Jesus, right? But the choice is ours, and we do choose. We can't not choose. If we say yes, though, we have access to the love of Jesus. And we saw what that did for the lady, right? Accepting Jesus and who he is doesn't instantly make life easier. My flatmates are here today, and... Um, they can probably attest to this for me. They aren't Christians, but they know that I am. And as a Christian, they know that I'm not immune to the stresses and the struggles of life, right? But like I mentioned earlier about the presence of God, all of a sudden there's like this knowing, there's this hope in the back of my mind that actually all is not for nothing. That everything in my life isn't for nothing. And you know, Maybe for the first time in a long time, or for the first time ever, I have this feeling of being fully known, fully accepted. In every moment, in every situation, in every circumstance, I'm fully known, fully loved, no strings attached, no ulterior motive. We are coming to a close now. I just want to say thank you. You've been really amazing listening to me. But as you're sat there, Maybe you're thinking, well, gee, this is a nice story. Maybe you're thinking, nah, this was a rubbish story, but don't tell me if it's rubbish, okay, I'll break my heart. I'm joking. Maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, gee, this is a nice story. 
But there's no way I can just sit here and believe that this Jesus character is real. And do you know what? I get it. I respect that. I really do. Believe me. Or maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, do you know what? Sometimes I'm really lonely. Or maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, do you know what? Sometimes I go about my day and, and just something feels amiss. Something doesn't sit right. Well, I just want to tell you that the Jesus I know and the Jesus I believe in, he has love for everyone. And his mission is to make that fact known that all are welcome and to ensure that no one is excluded. His invitation for love and wholeness is for everyone, no matter who you are. He knows you and he notices you. Even in the crowds of life, as we saw in that story with the woman, right, who had to push her way through the crowd where loads of people were touching Jesus. Jesus didn't miss her. He doesn't miss a thing. But the choice is yours. I'm just going to close in prayer here. Feel free to close your eyes or, you know, keep your peepers wide open. Whatever makes you feel more comfortable, I'm not bothered. But I am going to pray here. And if you have any questions at the end or you want to talk, or maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, do you know what, I feel like this lady. Maybe you've never considered Jesus before or what he can do for you or what he means to you. But if you want to know him, or you know, maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, well, I'm not ready to put both feet in the water, but maybe I'll just dip my toe. Whatever it is, if you want to know him more than, than you currently do, then just pray along with me in your hearts and he'll know that you're talking to him. As I said, he doesn't miss a thing. So yeah, I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you so much for the time that we've been able to spend together and the time that we've been able to share together. Father God, I lift up everybody who sat here in this room whose heart is going 10 to a dozen, and maybe their palms are sweaty, maybe they're sweating behind the back of their knees because they know that they've heard something today that's hit them, that's resonated with them. Whether it's my talk or somebody else's, whatever it is, if they're sat there and they know that something has struck them today, something that's been said today has hit home, I lift up those people to you now, and I pray that, Jesus, you would come and meet them where they're at. If you're sat there and you're thinking, actually, I want to know Jesus just a little bit more than I currently do, then just pray in your hearts with me this. Just say, Jesus, I want to say yes to your invitation. I want to reach out and touch the hem of your garment. I want to say yes to what it is that you've got to offer for me. I want to know you more. Come and introduce yourself to me. If that's you and you agree with what I said, then say a great big fat amen. Amen. Thank you very much.